Corinthians 8, 9 through 11. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Sing with us. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Psalm 19, uh, verse 14. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Join with us as we sing there as a redeemer. again and those who know your name will put their trust in you for you O lord have not forsaken those who seek you So sweet. 
still. Uh, I haven't done this for a few weeks, so today I have an appropriate thing I want to do. Yes. It's a song that goes along with where we're going today. So I did say thank you to uh, Derek for his prayers, and we're grateful for our nation and for our freedom. And, uh, and now we want to look into the word together. And we had several songs that we just sang. Thank you, worship team. One of which said, Thank you for sending your son and leaving the spirit here. And there is an old kid's song that has to do with the Holy Spirit. So I'm already giving it away. And uh, my wife and I had an interesting discussion this morning. She was convinced nobody would know this song anymore. So I asked Pastor Tim. He's a young fella. Well, middle, 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 middle of the road young and has little kids and they know the song so I know at home they can be singing this and other kids should be singing it and it's an ancient kids action song deep and wide and it's talking about what Jesus said when he said that the Holy Spirit would bubble up inside us doesn't mean you get indigestion. It's talking about the joy that the Spirit gives you or the leading and whatever, but it's life inside you. And so we're going to sing that song together. And uh, I'll try to get my hand actions going the right way because it's very complicated. If you've never heard it, it simply goes, everybody know it? Everybody in this room know it? Okay, here we go. Ready? Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Now the other way, wide and deep, whoop, wide and deep, there's a fountain flowing wide and deep. <laughs> wide and deep, wide and deep, there's a fountain flowing wide and deep, wide and deep. And now we just go, mmm, and mmm, mmm, and mmm, there's a mmm, mmm, flowing, mmm, and mmm, mmm, and mmm, mmm, and mmm, there's a fountain flowing, mmm, and mmm. Okay, so you know I'm not very coordinated. I can't wait till we're together so I can show you another action song we used to do, but I told you the first time we did one, everybody has to be close. So the whole point of that song is that there is something that Jesus has given us as his children that makes all the difference and keeps us going. We're going to talk about that. Well, good morning. Uh, it's a beautiful day. And of course, it's Memorial Day weekend, um, which is a great time to perhaps meet family, but perhaps not in the same way as usual. Um, but I just want us to take a moment to pause and remember the meaning of Memorial Day, that there are folks who gave up their lives for this country, for other countries, and it's a time of remembrance. So I'm just going to suggest that we have a moment's quiet, a moment's silence, just to remember, to give thanks that we have a free country, we're able to come and go as we please, normally, maybe not at the moment, but usually, um, and just... Open our hearts to the Lord. So let's just have a moment's quiet. Father, this morning we want to say thank you for your faithfulness to us. 
we want to say thank you that you are a God, you are the Redeemer. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son and leaving the Spirit till the work on earth is done. And this morning especially, Lord, we want to thank you and pray for families who are mourning and grieving the loss of loved ones, those who gave their lives uh, in the military, those who gave their lives for this nation, for other nations. And Lord, we just thank you that though we don't fully understand all that happens in this world, we thank you that you are faithful. And as we were singing just now, Lord, we just want to trust you and learn to trust you more. So Lord, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a few notices. First of all, if you look in your bulletin, you will see uh, details about how you can give and what the money that we give to Kenya is used for. So far, in addition to the $3,000 that we sent from Central Church Funds for relief, um, we've had about $2,000 almost come in from other additional donations. So if you would like to give to Kenya, um, you can give in the normal way, online or through a check, and pop it in the post, but make sure you mark it Kenya, and then uh, it will get there. The money will get there. Uh, if you look in the bulletin, you can see the needs that are there and what the money will be used for, helping to pay teachers' salaries and also for the relief for those who are desperately uh, lacking in basic foodstuffs and, and life's needs. So don't forget Kenya. Um, we have a re-entry team that's orbiting around the church, hoping for a soft landing with a parachute. <clears throat> the re-entry team is a group of our folks who have been put together um, to think about how we transfer or transmit or, 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 or how we change back towards normal. It won't be normal. It won't be sudden. Um, but there's all sorts of things to look at as restrictions ease slowly in the next few weeks, as guidance is produced, as the health of our folks is considered. How do we move back towards church? Can we all meet together or are we going to have to meet in two halves with social distancing of the chairs? All these issues. Our re-entry team is beginning to look at these issues and work out how best to recommend that we as a church function over a time of transition. If you've got any particular thoughts about that yourself, um, contact the church office. Office Pastor Tim is, is heading up this team, and, and I'm sure they will be pleased to hear your thoughts um, as well. So that's the re-entry team. It's already up and running. And uh, so just to reassure you that the church is thinking about the future and where we go from here and how we, uh, how we adapt to the changing conditions that we have. If you're feeling at all isolated, you might be able to help join a, a home group. Some of the home groups are functioning on Zoom. Uh, if you want any information about that, if you've got any particular needs, if you need food, if you need help, support, getting stuff, please contact the church office um, by email or by phone. If you know of anybody who is in need in the fellowship, please let the church know um, because there are folks who are willing to help if we can. This is a time of giving, so we're just going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to Pastor John. Um, we've given, some of us have given online, some of us have given with checks, but we want to acknowledge that before the Lord and just acknowledge that all that we have is his. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you that though things are different at the moment, Though we're a bit more restricted than usual, you remain faithful. You are not restricted. Um, you are not distanced. And we just give you praise and thanks for your faithfulness. You do not change. Lord, normally at this time in a church service, we would have just passed the offertory plates round. We can't do that. But Lord, we just think of the gifts that are given, whether it's through checks or online. And we dedicate these gifts to you for the furtherance of your kingdom in this place and elsewhere. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us a spirit of generosity and cheerfulness so that we can contribute additionally to the needs that there are in Kenya. And we just lift that whole situation to you, Lord. Um, the bishop, the pastor, the school, the church, 
We just ask for you to bless them and be with them and enable us to support them in some small way. Lord, you're such a generous God. Help us to to model and to reflect that generosity. And Lord, as we hear your word, we just ask that you will speak to us. Help us to grow closer to you. Help us to take in your word and to act on it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome back, Harmony, and all our guests out there, and uh, hope you have an excellent weekend. The weather should be wonderful. And uh, now you see what happens when people with limited resources get thrown off and do deep and wide all backwards. So uh, hopefully all your kids did a lot better than I did this morning. So welcome. And uh, we are looking at the book of Hebrews together. For those of you who may be tuning in new, I want to cheat by simply using the opening screen, the the uh, background that we've used for our Bible screens through the entire time we've been together is this picture of the Ark of the Covenant. That's not stolen from Indiana Jones. It's another uh, made-up picture, but it gives you the idea. And uh, surrounding that is all the concept of the, the ritual and the the worship system of the Old Testament, and the author of the book of Hebrews is well acquainted with it, and he's utilizing that to instruct God's people and to keep a group of probably um, Jewish seminarians who have become Christians to not back off from their great faith. But let me just read what's at the bottom of that screen. That screen that you can see with the Ark of the Covenant has the verse that shows up right before the passage we're going to be in today. And it says this, Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. He's the executor, if you will, of a great will and testament which has been enacted on better promises. And basically what that's telling us is that these better things are all because of Jesus. In fact, he is the better thing and brings with him this wonderful, better covenant for the New Testament people of God, all the true children of God. Well, that brings me to the title that I've chosen for today, which is stolen out of the New Testament. This promise is for you. The promise is for you. The passage we'll read in just a minute is Hebrews chapter 8, starting in the 7th verse down to verse 13. We'll get to that in a minute. But in order to introduce the subject, I'd like to read a little thing to you, if I might. I've shared this one other time, but this goes way back. There was a brother named Bill Bright. He was an evangelist. He was uh, trained, I believe, way back with navigators, started himself, uh, started a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, which probably a bunch of you may have heard of. And uh, they did tremendous outreaches of evangelism around the country. And um, as he saw people come to faith, he wanted them to be trainable. And so he developed what was called the Nine Transferable Concept. And I have one of these, a reprint. I have some of the originals, but this was one of the reprints called How You Can Be Filled with the Spirit. And in that, by the way, that brother is with the Lord now since 2003, just mightily used by by the Lord in in evangelism. And he tells this story in the book. I'm just going to read it to you. In West Texas is the famous oil field known as the Yates Pool. During the Depression, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. Mr. Yates was not able to make enough money on his ranching operation to pay for the principal and interest on his mortgage. So he was in danger of even losing his ranch. With little money for clothes or food, his family, like many others, had to live on government subsidy. Day after day, as he grazed his sheep over those rolling West Texas hills, he was no doubt greatly troubled about how he would be able to pay his bills. Then a seismographic crew from an oil company came to the area and told Mr. Yates there might be oil on his land. 
They asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed the lease contract. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test on one of the wells showed that it still had the potential to flow 125,000 barrels of oil per day. Mr. Yates owned all of it. The day he purchased the land, he received the oil and mineral rights, yet he was living on relief. (laughs) Oh, my. A multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem? He did not know that the oil was there. He owned it, but he did not possess it. Bill Bright goes on to say, I don't know of better illustrations of the Christian life than this. Meaning that so often we, as children of God, miss out on all the wealth, if you will, that God's Spirit has available for us. The text that we're reading today in Hebrews chapter 8 is also a reference from another passage, but beneath the text is a discussion, really, and a principle about this great gift, this well that bubbles up, this fountain flowing, let me get it right, deep and wide. This time I got it right. That's what it's talking about. So I quoted this uh, verse out of the book of Acts in order to find my title, The Promises for You. In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit fell on the new church as it grew incredibly and people were won into the kingdom, uh, the apostles saw that activity as a fulfillment of the prophecies like the one that is referenced in chapter 8 of Hebrews today. That's where I got my title. First Peter, as he was preaching the gospel, said, this. Repent. When people came and they were convicted, they said, what do we do to be right with God? That should be everybody's question, especially in the light of COVID-19. How do I get right with God? I see um, uh, obituaries, especially right now on Sundays, an overload, if you will, and people automatically assume where people have gone. But Jesus came so that we would know where we're going. And when people came to Peter and said, tell us what we have to do to be right with God, to inherit this good thing called eternal life, his answer was, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? His offer to them is, forgiveness of sins, and the subsequent receiving of the Holy Spirit. And then this verse comes out. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. For the promises for you and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. He was speaking to primarily a Jewish community Guess what, friends? If you're not Jewish, you're some of those who are far off. And what does that Bible verse tell me? That gift is, that promise is for us as well, to all that the Lord will call to himself. Everyone that has heard the good news and felt that response within that I need this relationship with Jesus is who he is speaking to. I want all my Baptist brothers and sisters out there not to get too worried here that I'm going to ask for some radical, crazy thing to happen today. God can do whatever he wants, and that would be your problem to deal with. (laughs) However, uh, I just want us to get this wonderful well that can bubble up, this thing working in our lives if we've missed out. And I'm afraid so many of us have missed out. Our text today could be a reading straight out of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. There's only one slight change, otherwise it's verbatim. As I read through it in just a minute, I will tell you where that one change is, but we'll make comment as we go. It's interesting because this is the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament, the longest. And Jeremiah brings some perspective, because remember, he wasn't just before the time of Jesus. He's back before the children of Israel went into bondage when they were taken away captive. 
It's the only Old Testament quote that speaks of the new covenant like this, and it's parallel to a very prophetic kind of one of those weird prophets in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. A passage in Ezekiel is very parallel to this, which specifically mentions the Holy Spirit as the promise. Now, I am a formation fanatic. I can't change my mind. I won't change the subject. My concern is that Christians live like what they were called to live like. And uh, until we get there, we're always pressing on. And I think uh, we were talking earlier about how some churches today are not modeling a meek and submissive spirit that would come from Jesus. We're missing it. So we're going to look at this text together. So if you would, start with me on the appropriate text. If you do have your uh, bulletins, we're going to walk right through these bullets point by point. First, uh, let me read the text. Hebrews 8, starting in verse 7. There's an introductory comment, then the Jeremiah quote, and then a closing comment. For if that first covenant, the covenant from Sinai, the law on tablets of stone and all the ritual of the priesthood, if that had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For a finding fault with them, God says, behold, here's Jeremiah, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on Sinai on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. What does that mean? I, they didn't continue. They were disobedient. They were stiff-necked. Uh, you've read it. I've had Christians say to me, isn't it unbelievable what those people did in the Old Testament? How could you be that stubborn or that stupid? And I just kind of look at people and go, yeah, isn't that amazing? <clears throat> but here's what he says. I did not care for them really in the, in the Jeremiah passage, if you look it up. It says, I was a husband to them and they cheated on me, basically. I tried to care for them, wouldn't let me. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall in response be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, hey, get to know the Lord. For all shall already know me from the least to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. What a great promise. And here's the postscript. And when he said a new covenant, and that's Jeremiah, remember, hundreds of years earlier. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to disappear. Jeremiah knew that something better was coming, even back then. Hey, if you're following my little outline, the first point is a quick bullet, just as a reminder. We talked about this last week a little bit. The inadequacy of the old covenant. Why was it ina inadequate? It was inadequate because of the reality of sin. The reality of sin was the problem. If you go back to Jeremiah... The passage just before that prophetic word about this wonderful gift of writing the law in the hearts of man. Just before it, they're quoting common proverbs of the time. People were saying, oh, the parents uh, ate something bad and our teeth are set on edge. Basically, they were saying, it's not our fault that we're so messed up. You know, there's drama today, but it's not our fault. Sounds just like America, doesn't it? You know, it's not my fault. Uh, it's my parents, they raised me wrong, or they, they, they were mean to me. The teacher was crabby. I have a neighbor I could blame for being the meanest person around if I wanted to be, a neighbor that really wounded me as a kid. We have a problem. We like to blame everybody else. The reason the old covenant couldn't work, as we learned last week, was because of our flesh. The flesh is a biblical word describing the sin inclination that we all ha we're all infected. Boy, talk about infection in our culture, right? We, get, we don't want to get infected. When it comes to the sin nature, too late, we've already got it. It's the inclination to resist what is right, to resist God. 
an underlying, as we saw last week, hostility. And because of that inclination to constantly wander and break the covenant relationship with Yahweh, with Jehovah, they failed by the flesh. They could not live up to it. Jeremiah is wrestling with this whole thing, and he's trying to get the point across because people don't want to face up to what they're doing wrong. And he uses an expression in one of the verses earlier in his book that might not sound politically correct today, but let me read it to you. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three. He's saying to the people of Israel, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? This is not a racial issue. He could have just as well said, can a Scandinavian have black hair? It wouldn't happen. Well, they can do it now, but you've got to use something to change it. The whole point is, then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. In other words, you've got this disease that won't release you. You need help beyond yourself to get over it. Well, brothers and sisters, in the new covenant, it doesn't mean we don't have flesh anymore. I don't want anybody to think, hey, I'm so glad I'm not doing anything wrong because I think you all know better. Uh, We do have flesh. In fact, Jesus, with his little inner circle, 12 men who followed him around, you couldn't get more spiritual or churchy than that group, could you? And Jesus says to them at one point, hey, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the best gift? He was even then making reference to what was coming that we're talking about today. So there was this expression, this understanding that even though we're God's children, we've got this negative inclination. And Jesus just calls it evil because that's what it is. Excuse me. One of our churches, a a dear friend of ours, my wife loves to quote on a regular basis. Her name was Gail, one of the Bible teaching ladies in our church. And she would get up and she was a godly woman, is a godly woman, still around. And uh, but she would begin to teach sometimes and say, my flesh is very much alive. My question for us, brothers and sisters, are we in touch with that reality? As some people formulated, are we in touch with our depravity? Do we recognize how we're broken? Well, that was the problem with the Old Testament. We addressed that last week. Now we have the promise of the new covenant. And in the light of the context What was formal has now been shifted over to what is relational. And I want to look at this passage starting with the bottom and working our way up, starting with verse uh, 12, then going to 11, and then to 10. We're going to work our way backwards, if I could, from bottom and up. The first point at the bottom is we gain full remission of sin. Remission in full. When you use the word remission in medical terms today, it means the disease has gone underground and hopefully it's not going to come back, but sometimes it does. When we use the word remission, it's absolution, forgiveness, and it never arises again. It's a cleansing that is done, that the believer can know his sins have been dealt with by the new covenant blood of Jesus for his past sins, his present sins, and even future sins. That was verse 12. The scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, no forgiveness, because there has to be a consequence for violating not just God's holiness, but the laws of the universe, because they're together. And Jesus admitted this when he was leading his disciples and when he instituted his supper to remember him, you might recognize these words, drink ye All of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus intentionally tapped into that concept found back in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel that a new covenant was coming to supersede the old. This was what every Jew who was tuned in was looking for. It's what we who are tuned in should be looking for. The Old Testament had sacrifices done over and over again. They had to cover sin. It was a temporary thing. Now that has been settled once for all. It's done 
through the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus. That comes out over and over and over again in the book of Hebrews, but also through the whole New Testament. Now we go to verse 11. The next point is there is a relationship. There's a relationship in truth. Um, You could put parentheses behind that word truth and simply say reality. In the Old Testament, you could get to know God, and people did, of course. Jesus said, unless a person is born again, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. I believe that there were born-again saints. Of course there were. But this issue of a guaranteed relationship becomes nailed down for, for New Testament believers. It's in the New Testament people. They all have this relationship. I kind of stunned people a few months back when I said, you do understand that God has no grandchildren. Everyone who knows Jesus has been birthed by him directly. There are no grandchildren. There are only children. And if I've become a child of God, then this relationship is immediate. It's mine already. They will know me, verse 11 says. They will know me. Very interesting. The word for no, this uh, this I don't know that everybody knows anymore because there's really a downplaying of unpacking and understanding the truth of the word in these days. But the word yada in the Old Testament, gnosko in the New Testament, the word to know is the word that would translate the phrase in Genesis when the Bible says Adam knew his wife. I think you know what I'm talking about. That is an intimate, close knowledge, an experiential knowledge, an intimate knowledge. It's majorly different than just knowing about someone. Here's what uh, the commentator G.H. Lang writes in his epistle to the Hebrews. The heart open to God receives an inward perception of what God requires, an instinctive sense of what pleases God, and a spiritual acquaintance with God himself. Such a believer not merely knows about God, as did men who heard the law of the Old Testament. They knew about him, but look how many times they wandered because they weren't connected to him. You could be in the commonwealth of Israel and not make it, in other words. Uh, Hello? You can be in the commonwealth of churches and not make it you have to know him and so it says they become acquainted with God himself revealed in Christ and this is life eternal Jesus said that they should get to know you God and the alone true God and him whom you sent Jesus Christ they actually experientially know God there was a difference between that person who knows him about the law and who knows him experientially and cries out to him from the inner man. I'm not God. I think you know that. And uh, I don't claim to be right or understand everything. One of the big dilemmas I have as a shepherd is trying to discern who really knows God and who doesn't. Have you ever had that problem? Who really does know him? People who are striving to act like they're believers and struggling so badly. And I wonder, Is that life actually in this person or not? I have met people who could swear up and down. They received Christ and their life changed. And yet today they are crusty, crotchety, rigid, unhappy. Not something that is attractive to me and probably nobody else. And then there are people who might be struggling with maybe even getting off drugs or staying faithful or keeping off some addiction. And yet. There's something that's been planted in them that is breathing life. One of the things that uh, has been an encouragement to me when I was uh, talking last week as I was planning to go in this direction, I asked Mike, um, what would you want to get at? What would you want to know about this issue of the Spirit? Tell me what that looks like. And one of the thoughts that came to me, and, and I'll give you a few examples when I close, But one of the thoughts that came to me is how many times people I've never met before I meet and there's a witness of spirit to spirit that this person belongs to God. Whether they're severely broken or really all cleaned up, there's this sense, deep calls to deep, the spirit witnesses this person knows Jesus. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, that's what has been a great help to me on an occasion when I've seen somebody get off the rails. When I've seen somebody, I know the Spirit has deposited a work of God, a work of the Holy Spirit inside them. I see them get off the rails. They get into deep water or trouble or a bad attitude. The Spirit witnesses to me, God's going to drag them back, whether screaming or kicking or joyfully, because I am confident of the good work that he began in him. He's going to complete it by the day of Jesus. It's going to happen. There's something about that remarkable, intuitive sense. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's a gift from the Spirit. The Old Testament had limits to approaching God. There was limited access. If you look at the tabernacle, which we will again, there were phases that you could only go so far and into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest and only with blood and only once a year was allowed to enter into that full access into the presence of God. There was ritual, there was national religion, but now there's unlimited access and there's a spiritual connection, and it's not limited to Israel, all nations. Israel was to be a light to all the nations, and so now all of the people around the globe, every nation, tribe, and tongue have been invited into this family, and they get complete access. In fact, the Scripture tells us we're all priests of God. We're called to be his priests, the go-betweens. We have access into the very presence of God. So you could spend time arguing about which temple you should go to and how you worship and outward structure, or you can get into the reality of it versus the formality. It's a great story in the New Testament. You'll recognize it. Jesus is passing through Samaria. He stops at a well. There's a woman there. He starts speaking to her about the deep, let me get it right, deep and wide, fountain flowing, deep and wide. He's talking to her about it, and she goes, where is it? I want it. He says, well, let's talk a little bit about your life. Go call your husband. Well, I'm not married. Yeah, that's true. Gets into a little dialogue about where she's at, and she knows she's wrong. And so she does what most people do when you try to witness to them, and it starts to get a little bit warm. Change the subject. Well, we worship over here in Samaria. You Jews say we should worship over there. You'll remember the conversation. Jesus answers this way. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming, and neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. But an hour is coming, and now is. It's happening now. The new covenant is going to happen now. He's on the scene. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. Let me say it again. Spirit and reality. Real relationship, intimate. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. When the scripture says the law was given by Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus, it doesn't mean that the law wasn't true. It means the reality, what the law was aiming us to, to actually live the life God had in mind. That's what came in Christ Jesus, and that's the new covenant. By the way, there's a reference in there where we were reading verse 11. Oh, you won't need a teacher. That doesn't mean we don't need teachers. We can still be jerks. It can, we can get off track. We need people to help coach us. The point is that everyone who is in the family of God has already an intimate knowledge because the Spirit has made them alive and they know it. Everyone in Christ has access. If we didn't need teachers, why would the book of Hebrews have been written? It's exhortation from beginning to end, instruction and encouragement. Yes, he's already given us life. We don't make Christians. I I wish people understood this. We don't make Christians. You're arguing and pressuring and being antagonist. That doesn't, you're insulting people is not making a Christian. The Holy Spirit has to make them. He's the one that gives new birth. You can only shine as a light and as winsome follower of Jesus, attract them to him. Give the Holy Spirit the room to do the job. Come boldly, 
Every boundary has been taken out of the way. I don't have to worry about a curtain. I don't have to worry about blood. I don't need the priest. All of that's been taken aside. One commentator said, in Christ, every Tom, Dick, and Harry has access to the Lord Jesus, to God personally. That brings me to the last point and the main point, in my view, the renewal in the spirit, the renewal in the spirit. Verse 10, I will put my laws into their hearts and I will write them upon their hearts and their minds and in their hearts. There'll be something going on inside. We're going to look at a parallel text in Ezekiel very quickly that that kind of cinches that what he's talking about comes from this relationship with the Holy Spirit. An obedience that comes by the help of the Spirit. Work on that, family of God. Work on, am I walking, listening, hearing, responding to the Spirit? Here's the passage in Ezekiel. I want you to carefully look at the underlined portion. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. He does it in the exact opposite way we're doing it. You'll be clean first. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. So the first one is you'll be forgiven once and for all. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put what? A new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, that hard, crusty, stubborn inner spirit will melt and you'll be soft. Boy, do we need some of that. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. There it is. That's part of the package. That's what they've been looking for. And cause you to walk in my statutes. You'll be careful to observe my ordinances. I'll be careful because the spirit will be tweaking me. The spirit will be leading me. The spirit will be motivating me because now I have the ability to please God and walk a life that is a gift from him. Jesus said it was to our advantage if he went away. Remember his disciples? We don't want you to leave. They're depressed. It's to your advantage if I go away because if I go away, a better helper is going to come and permanently. Thank you, God my Father, for giving us your son and leaving your spirit here until the work is done. He said it was to our advantage. The Holy Spirit has been sent. Last week, we read the verse that talked about this wonderful gift, that the presence of the Spirit, the new birth, enables us when responding to him to do what God had intended. You remember this? In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. A higher principle beats out that flesh inclination, if will let us. Well, I'm almost done, and probably you're glad. But I think about Yates Pool and that poor guy living in poverty when he was loaded. And that's how I see the church today. Maybe you've noticed a real lack many times of power, of freedom, of deliverance, of victory. And I'm not saying we're happy all the time, we're not checking our brains out and we're not uh, ignoring the fact as our brother Derek shared about times for lament. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean consistently God shows his goodness and we can have a sense of pleasing him. The spirit was given to us to sanctify us, to control us. If we're filled with the spirit, it means we're under his control and his power is available to help us. So I thought about Mike's comment. I'd like to know what it looks like. Let me just give you three examples. I could go on for a half hour, but you'd really be, uh, well, you'd be tuning out by then, I'm sure. One, I believe conviction is a loving gift from the Holy Spirit, a humbling that happens. I remember when a brother that, uh, I got to tell you, this, this, this brother knew the Lord, loved the Lord, had served the Lord in one of our sister churches upstate. One of the funniest men I've ever met in my life. Out of control, crazy, hysterical, funny person. Great sense of humor, good brother, loved the Lord. He went to what we would call a revival meeting that most of us Baptists would not approve of. He came home. He knocked on my, I'll never forget this. He knocked on my front door, I opened the door, and as soon as I looked in his face, I knew God had met with him. 
He was completely humbled, and it was all over him. You could feel it. And he came clean and said to me, John, God showed me that with all that I knew about God and Jesus and everything else, I'm a Pharisee. And he meant it from the bottom of his heart. He was changed. Jonathan Edwards said in the great revivals that when the spirit moves in on a person, they manifest a meek and lamb-like spirit. Wow. A meek and lamb-like spirit. Kind of like those people say, we're not going to have the government telling us we can't meet in church. That doesn't sound like a uh, lamb-like, meek spirit. If I got in trouble, hey, that's life in the big city. Thus faith works by love and love fulfills the law, Lang says. Not by a fraction is the divine standard lowered. No demand of the moral law is relaxed. But here's the difference. On the contrary, the heart perceives now its deeper meaning. Here's humility. It's more spiritual sense and claim. It perceives that hatred is murder. It perceives that lust is adultery. Coveting is stealing. But love is glad and able to discharge the higher claim. It longs only to be perfect as God is perfect. That's a work of the Spirit. It's a gift to us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us. That's an evidence that he's been at work. I have two stories. One I told you a few weeks back when a brother named Tom, who walked two Christian schools back to health over his career, I hadn't talked to him 15, 20 years. As he was doing a spiritual exercise, the Holy Spirit told him, you need to get in touch with John Hawko. I'm going, where did that come from? And he contacted me and was a source of great encouragement. I know one other. Somebody might not believe what I'm about to say, but there was a brother in one of the churches I've been around who one day, in spite of the fact he would never spend money like this, was prompted. He was sure he was being told, go out and buy a $1 million life insurance policy. He would have never spent it otherwise. A few months later, his entire family were grateful to God that the Spirit led him. That was an act of God's mercy on behalf because you probably have figured out what happened. Did we love what happened? No. Did we love what God did to provide for his family? Absolutely. And sometimes it's power that God gives you for a necessary task. I remember once that I was burying a man whose circle of friends was a little on the seemly side, shall we say? And uh, as I was preaching, uh, going to preach this funeral, I was surrounded by a bunch of biker dudes. I'm not talking Christian biker club type guys. I'm talking hardcore all around me. And I got to tell you, I didn't have my black belt back then. And I was a little bit intimidated. And I'll never forget saying to God in my spirit, um, you got to watch out for me here. This looks like one of those New Testament moments where the gospel needs to be preached, and authority came on me, and I preached fearlessly. I don't know how it happened, but they loved it. I don't get it, but it was a God thing. And I've seen people who have lost loved ones at funerals who haven't been all that strong or all that godly. Power comes on them, and they glorify God in that moment of grief giving testimony and witness to the goodness of God and his wonderful gifts. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is a great gift. The promise is for you and for your children and your children's children. And boy, do we need to ask him to help us lay hold of it. So I'm going to pray. Let's do that. God, Holy Spirit, help us to know your closeness, your intimacy, your help, your power, your control, whatever you want for us, Lord, we want to submit to it. Would you strengthen your church and raise it up? Because the promise is for us. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus, what you've done on our behalf to give us this better covenant with better promises. Hallelujah. We worship you and thank you in the great name of Jesus. And all of God's people out there said, amen, and have a wonderful week. See you later.